0: and uh, he's been volunteering over there doing a great job and, and helping me with prayer and helping me with those men uh, on a routine basis. So uh, I don't know if it's your first like sermon outside the church or not, but I'm excited to see what you're going to do. I don't know yet, so it might be really exciting. Who knows? <laughs> so I'm going to do something completely different today. You're all used to kind of how I do this. I decided to just go crazy and go do, just go a completely different way. God really. Uh, talked to me and said that uh, you need a therapy session yep yep that's what he said you need a therapy session and so what we're going to do today is I'm going to give you some therapy I know what you're thinking I don't need therapy Tom why do you think I need therapy it's always the other guy that needs therapy right but let me tell you something it's always the people that say they don't need therapy that need therapy Jolay Jolay used to work at the Pastoral Counseling Center, and she's shaking her head vigorously. I love that. So, we're going to start today by understanding that the first step of a 12 step program is admitting you have a problem. So, everyone together, I have a problem. problem. You do have a problem. It's great. Thank you. Courageous. I can't wait to share with you what it is. Have you ever heard of this term? Go back one. You're going too fast. Slow down. You move too fast. All right. got agapaphobia. You have agapaphobia. Agape, love. Phobia, scared. You have scared love. You're scared to love. It's a condition where Christians delude themselves into believing they are loving God and loving their neighbors as Christ would teach them, yet they're acting in ways that are clearly not loving, showing an actual aversion to loving God and others as they are instructed by Scripture. Well, there's good news and there's bad news about agapaphobia. The good news is I have tools for you today that will help mitigate your agapaphobia. The bad news is this is a lifelong disease. So it's really important we go through this today. And I give you some tools because if not, you're going to be contagious. And I don't want that. Nobody wants that. What we want instead is for you to have a dynamic and healthy Christian life. So I'm going to start today's counseling session. We just heard in Matthew 22, 34 through 40, that uh, Jesus was in chapters 21 and 22 talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And the Sadducees, those dogs, were trying to trap Jesus. You remember that time they said, if a woman marries a man and he dies, and the brother marries her and he dies, and the brother marries her and he dies, and and so on and so on. Who who, who is she married to in heaven? And Jesus just shut him up, didn't he? He's like, there's no marriage in heaven. You don't got to understand anything. So the Pharisees heard about this and went, well, we've got to come up with a better idea than that. So they came up with teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in all of the law? See, they figured Jesus would would have to pick one, and if he picked the wrong one, they'd get him. Because all the commandments are equal, right? And Jesus didn't even miss a beat. He said, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then he added a second. Well, the Pharisees didn't ask for a second. They asked it for one. He said, no, no, the others like it. You've got to love your neighbor like yourself. And then he said this really important part. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So when you think about that, you realize that if you love God the way you're supposed to and you love each other the way you're supposed to, you don't sin against God. You don't sin against each other. It's great. It's just what we're supposed to do. But here's the problem with agapophobia. Agapophobia says you're deluded. And if I were to ask you, show of hands, how many of you are loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and how many of you are loving each other as yourselves, some of you might be tempted to raise your hands because you're disassociating. You don't even know. So I'm going to ask the question a different way. I'm going to ask you this. How many of you sin against God and trespass against your neighbor? Oh, yay, we all do. It's fantastic. Except either these people that are scared or not perfect or something in the front row. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Come on, Dave, get with the program. Dave, have you had your rock star today? Your rock star? You're right it's noticeable. <laughs> See what I did there? I reversed the question on you. Instead of asking if you love God, I asked you if you sinned against him. Instead of saying, do you love your neighbor? I'm asking "Have you ever transgressed. And we all do. Romans chapter 3 tells us, all fall short of the glory of God. There's that one righteous. Not one. Not one. But that's okay. Because God knows our hearts. God knows. And You know, he has given us grace. He's given us a a way to deal with this. But here's what God doesn't want. He doesn't want you just to quit and be okay with that. It's okay that I don't love God with all my heart, and it's okay because I'm just a fallen human, and I'm just doing the best I can. That's not good enough for God. What he wants from us is to address our agapophobia. So here's the deal with agapophobia. Jesus didn't say, love your God, your Lord, with all your heart, mind, and soul is the best advice I can give you. He didn't say, I've got this great suggestion. Hey, how about this recommendation? He didn't say that. It's not guidance. It's a commandment. Love him with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul, everything you got. And love each other like you love yourself. I want to give you kind of the message version if I were to like to write the message Bible. Love God every ounce of your being and love each other the way you want them to love you but we don't do that do we well you got agapophobia you're fearful of love and i'm going to go through some things i'm going to actually take some real life counseling things that i've done i'm going to change the names to protect the innocent and i'm going to show you why we don't love god And we're going to walk through some exercises real live exercises i'm telling you if you want to lay down like on a couch go ahead this is going to be great So why don't we love God? Here's some of the reasons. God is invisible and not tangible in our lives. We can't love something we can't see and touch and feel, right? People have projected their bad experience in life on God. We're going to go into that one. That's a big one. You don't feel as if God protected you sometime when you were in a situation. Where was God when that happened? We've all heard that, right? You don't hear or feel God in your life. Did you know that Mother Teresa, she got her call to India and then like for 50 years really didn't hear from God in her, in her diary, which she didn't want printed, which is what they printed immediately after she died. They, uh, she talks about how lonely it was. She didn't hear from God. She, she knew she had to be faithful to what he called her to, but she didn't feel him. It's hard to love God in those places. People say there's too much evil in the world for there to be truly a loving God. Some people say, I don't know God. I can't love him. I don't understand him. And then some people are honest and just say, I'm too scared to love God. I'm not sure what's going to happen if I do. All good, good reasons. Do any of these reasons resonate with you? Or if you're one of those people, do you know friends that have this problem? Do you have other issues? It's okay. We're going to go through some things now. And I've got two exercises. This is the part where you can lay down and I'll talk to you. First, let's review your prayer life. I got some space in your bullet and you can do this, but this is what this exercise looks like. I want you to think about three to five, seven, 15 prayers, whatever, and I want you to think about how God answered them. Did he answer them? Do you know that no answer is an answer? Ever heard God say, be still? Ooh, I hate that one. Was his answer right in hindsight? Did he, did he, do you see a pattern of how he answers your prayers? Have you ever looked back and said, here's 50 prayers I've asked? Have any of you asked 50 prayers? Here's how God answered him. Look, look how consistent he is. This is what he's doing in my life. When you do this, think of three to five prayers just to make it easy. How did God answer them? What you'll probably see is, yes, he answered them. He's very engaged in your life, much more so than you think. And he answered them in a way that you didn't expect. And he answered them in a way that was in your best interest, even though at the time you probably didn't think that was what you wanted. I used this example in the previous sermon. I said, any of you men that went to high school and had this girlfriend and then went to your 20-year reunion and went, oh, thank goodness God didn't answer that prayer. (laughs) It happens, believe me. So that's the first exercise. We go through our prayer life and we see what God's hand was. There's a lot of men laughing at that one. That's a good one we see where God's hand was and we see the pattern of his engagement with us. Next thing we do is we go to and we think about our life's experiences. We say, what has God done in the midst of my life? Good times, bad times, doesn't matter. Where was God in these times? So we write down some life events. Don't have to be like your major major events, but they can be events. And say, where was was he there? Was he not there? What would have happened if God really wasn't there? You know, when I was a kid, I, I suffered child abuse in foster homes and such. And I used to think when I was a child, I thought like a child, and I said, where was God when I was getting beat up? And then as a man, I thought as a man, and I went, what would have happened to me had God not been there when I was getting beat up? That's a big difference in thinking. And I know God was in my life because I survived all that, because I knew the right question to ask. So sometimes in our lives, we've got to see this pattern and say, where was God in the midst of my circumstances? Was He there? What did He do? How did He work it out? And again, God is a God of consistency, right? There's a pattern to how He acts in your life. And when you take these two little simple exercises and you say, did He answer my prayers and how did He do it? Was He in my life and my circumstances and where did He show up? God's a God of consistency. You're going to be able to see a pattern And you're going to be able to say, if he did it this way before, this is what he's going to do for me in the future. And you're going to be able to see where God is. This is really, 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 really important. Because in agapophobia, you don't know whether you can trust God or not. That's what it comes down to. I can't love God with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul because I'm not sure he's going to deliver. But you know what? What if my prayer life... And my circumstances show that he delivered time and time and time and time again. Do you think I can trust him more? Do you think I can give more of myself? Do you think maybe I can get over my barrier? My stuck point? It sure helps. But if you don't know, and if you don't look for God, see, a lot of us live linearly. Yesterday was yesterday, and today is today, and tomorrow will be tomorrow. We don't look to see what God was doing except in the moment. We cry out to God and say, where are you? I'm, you know, that driver. Wow. Where are you? We don't think about where he was. So we don't see the pattern. So here's one that's really, really important, though. Some of us have bad experiences with people in life, right? Anybody have that in their life? Sometimes it's caused by behavioral things you learn as you're a kid behavioral development things. Sometimes it's just things as adults. I will make a bold statement and say in my counseling, I've seen that women especially have issues with men who have manipulated, controlled, used, abused them. And they project the lack of trust, hurt, and fear on their God. And this is routine. I call it projected dysfunction. And this is really an important exercise for those who have gone through this i know some of you have friends out there that have gone through this because i know plenty who have so what you do is you write down a list of how you've been treated used abused manipulated let down whatever it might be and it could be the ugly stuff it could be physical abuse sexual abuse emotional abuse can be all that stuff and then you ask yourself these questions about god what does god think of that what does the bible say he says about that stuff What is God's character? Does he believe in that? Would he treat you that way? What does God expect out of us in terms of treating each other? Where was God in these episodes? What would have happened if God wasn't there during these episodes? And what you start to see is a very stark difference between man, who's abusive to each other, and God, who loves you. Now here's where the rubber meets the road in your counseling. This is the part you should write down. (laughs) Sometimes when we're dealing with God, when we're projecting this on him, because the pronoun we use is him and he, it's hims and he's who have done all the damage to us. Our fathers. I watched Brett Favre last night give a Hall of Fame speech. And he spent nine minutes of his speech talking about his father. And it was painful to watch because his father was very, very, very tough love. And he's damaged Brett Favre like crazy because of it. But the starkness you get is this. Man manipulates. God doesn't manipulate. The instructions God gives you is for your benefit. Not your detriment. Man manipulates. God is black and white. Do it or don't. Paul says, all things are permissible. Not all things are good. You can do anything you got, want. You've got free will. You'll suffer the consequences, but it's not manipulation by God. Some people think God is manipulating them, using them, trying to, trying to control them through all these rules. That's not what God's doing. What God is saying is, I love you. I want the best for you. Why are you picking mediocre You can have the best. Do it my way. And when you start to see that stark difference, you start to see the difference between a God who loves you and man who manipulates you. And that's a really, really important one. So if you know folks that are struggling with projecting their anger or distrust on God, you've got to walk them through this exercise. See, here's what I know about God. God wants us to meditate on His Word day and night. He wants us to pray unceasingly, right? He tells us that he's always with us. He loves us unconditionally. He, he, you know, he calls us children. He's got this, got this huge strength of relationship, father-child relationship. And what he wants for us, both in our thoughts and our actions, is for us to have everything that's in our own best interest. Now, question, have any of you ever done anything that's not in your best interest? Yeah, right. <laughs> But it's like all relationships. It takes two to tango, right? I was joking downstairs and said I have all you married people. Ever wanted you ever have a situation where one of you wants to fight and the other one doesn't? <laughs> That's always entertaining to watch as one's following the other around the house. <laughs> it takes two to tango. We have to meet God. We have to Understand that we're the ones that are damaged in a, with agapophobia. We're the ones that are scared to love him with everything because we're scared of trust and being hurt and being let down. And all the things that man does to each other, we're afraid that God's going to do that to us. And I'm here to tell you, if you take a look at your lives, you're going to find that he's never let you down. He's never, ever left you. He's been with you the whole time. I was talking to Debbie Grins one time. And I was sharing with her a wrestling match God and I were having. And uh, I said, you know, I'm having a hard time submitting to God in this area. And Debbie says, Tom, it's not, it's not about submitting. You have to surrender to him. I like, oh, geez, don't hit me so hard. But she was right. To love God the way Jesus tells us to, we have to surrender. Submitting is yielding to somebody, accepting them over you surrender is not resisting there's a difference so all of us out there that say i need to surrender to jesus you're right you need to wave that white flag you need to give up your position you need to stop resisting and i hate this part because i'm a good submit guy i don't want to stop fighting god sometimes i'll admit it sometimes i fight god like crazy i got a huge case of agapophobia And God's saying, Tom, would you just surrender so I can give you the best I have for you? And I'm like, no, I'm stupid. I want to do it my way. I want you to try some of these exercises because I think they're important. But let's move on to loving each other. I actually think this is harder than loving God sometimes. Here are the reasons people have given me why they don't love each other. People are stupid. Everyone laughs at that one. Can't trust people. People are evil. I don't love myself, so how can I love somebody else? Some people are un- just, just flat unlovable. If you have Facebook or you read any social media, you'll think candidates fall into that category. <laughs> you have to have boundaries with people. I'm too hurt to forgive. I just can't forgive that person. I've had bad experiences with people, and I'm not going to let them do that again. Fool me once. I don't know how to love. I never grew up with that. And people drive me crazy. Okay, I added that last one. That's mine. It can drive me crazy. I have a different exercise when dealing with people than we have with dealing with God. But I want to have you follow me to Luke 6, 32 through 36. It's a longer, chat, longer little verse, but I want to walk you through what Jesus expects. He says, if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And what if you lend to those to whom you expect repayment? What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to people they're going to get repayment from. But what I want you to do is love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without the expectation of repayment. Then your reward will be great. You will be the children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So Jesus says, hey look, when you love your neighbor, don't just love the ones that love you back. Don't just, don't just like the ones that are, that are nice to you. you got to love the ones that sometimes are unlovable, the undesirable, the untouchable, bad drivers, all of them. <laughs> because if you're just loving the people that love you, there's no credit there. You get nothing. Everyone does that. So let's talk about what we do about loving hard-to-love people. I got my EGR button on, by the way, today. Extra grace required, that's me. I call this uh, replacing a reaction with an action. It's, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. It's just CBT. But uh, I want to walk you through this exercise. I want you to think of people or things that trigger you, things that stress you out, things that make you react in a way you really know you don't want to or really shouldn't react, but you do anyway. I want you to list these triggers down. Bad drivers trigger me. I got to be honest. Um, People that are not competent at their jobs trigger me. I've got several of them. And then you react in a way that is either anger, jealousy, passive aggressiveness. uh, You take offense. You're judgmental. You think you're better than other people. Whatever your thing is. Except those that didn't raise their hand earlier, and they don't have a thing. That's okay. We we have this reaction. It's guttural. Now, some of our reactions are habit. We've been doing it a long time. Matter of fact, some of your reactions you learned from your parents, who maybe learned it from their parents. As you were going through childhood development, you saw your parents react a certain way, you picked that up, thought that was the way to do it, and now you do it. Some of your reactions are just out of um, lack of control of your emotions. We have fallen emotions, right? But that third column is the, the one I'm most interested in. What are you going to do about it? If I react badly, what I have to do is say, how would God have me react? So let's take that driver. The driver's driving down the road. He's going warp nine past me. I'm thinking, where's where's a cop when you need him? And what God says, hey, Tom, 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 pray for that man. Pray for those drivers around him that they're safe. Pray that the Holy Spirit talks to him and slows him down. Pray for his family. Pray that he knows me hard to hate someone when you're praying for them, right? These are important in your life because we all have triggers, and it's most important in our relationships. I'm going to talk about family first. I would tell you that your family probably triggers you more than anybody else you know. Your spouse, your kids, your in-laws, your brother, sister, whatever it might be, right? They're the ones that just get you. They know all my buttons. Now, you can live With trigger and reaction, and just have this life sucking experience going on. Or you can be life filled by saying, God wants me to treat this person with love even when they're not lovable. God wants me to pray for them. God wants me to treat them differently. And I'm going to change my habits of reacting badly in anger or or mistrust or in bad words or harshness. I'm going to replace that with an action of love and peace and calmness even if I have to walk around the house outside six times before I get there. This is important, and Christ expects you to do it in your Christ walk. We're supposed to do for the least of these what we do for him, right? Are we a mature enough group of Christians in this church to say there are people that we struggle with? Homeless, transgender, gay, people that get too close to you when they talk, Those space invaders, loud, obnoxious, mentally challenged folks. (laughs) We struggle with people. And what's our reaction? We avoid them. We tell the pastor that person in row six smells a little bit. We had an episode. We had someone out front, homeless person that was smoking dope in the in the front area there. That's no good. Got to stop them. This is church, for goodness sake. We all struggle. But we need to change our reactions with an action that loves people. Jesus didn't say it would be easy to love people. He said, look, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek when someone offends you. What I want you to do here is is understand, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Paul says, don't judge those outside the church. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12. Hold each other accountable in the church. But don't worry about them outside. They're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They're blinded by Satan. How in the world could they do right anyway? How could you do right if you weren't indwelt by the Holy Spirit? He says, don't think that you're better than other people. Consider other people better than yourself. Love sacrificially is always detrimental to yourself let me repeat that love that we're talking about here is a detriment to you so where are you i know a lot of you in the room a lot of you are really good at this love thing actually you're way too good at it so a little distance some of you have great potential some of you have great potential all of us need more jesus all of us need to be more loving All of us have got to get to a place in our life where we can love our neighbor as ourselves. We can love in a way that we want to be loved. There's a a category here that I want to get into that uh, uh, needs its own little special area. How many of you have negative self-talk? You talk negatively in your head. You're stupid. You're worthless. You can't do anything right. Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. Yeah. Some of that is behaviorally learned. As a child, you had negative input. Negative input. And you believe it. Some of it, you just have self-esteem issues. Some of it, Satan, just messing with you. I use this example downstairs. So let's say I'm a handyman and I'm going to do something in my house. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows I don't know how to do anything in my house. And by the time I get done, not only have I messed it up more, but it's cost me a lot more money. Like the time I had crabgrass and I was going to kill the crabgrass with this stuff that killed crabgrass and I spread it all over my lawn, $10 bottle of stuff. And, and Lisa says, what did you do? What do you mean, what do I do? I use this bottle. She says, Tom, that's Roundup. I'm like, yes, it says it kills crabgrass. Well, that, 500, that, that $10 bottle of Roundup cost me $500 bucks to fix my lawn when I was done. So I'm not good at this stuff. Now, you can imagine the stuff I said to myself. You're an idiot. What are you doing? Why can't you do this? All men know how to do this. You are so stupid. Now, in that, there was negative self-talk, wasn't there? but what's the truth? Well, the truth is I'm no good at it. (laughs) There is truth there. There's half truth. A lot of men know how to do this, and I don't. And then there was complete lies. You're an idiot. I'm not an idiot. I got college degrees and master's degrees and a high IQ. It's just not my skill set. What God tells me, is says, what does God say? God says, sir, Tom, 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 don't do that. Hire Kevin Lindorfer. Do something. Get Russ. You can't do this. It's not your skill. God says, I love you, but I didn't give you that skill set. Do something else. Don't be negative. You're made in my image. You're not dumb. You're not stupid. It's true. You're not a handyman. It's not your skill set. But don't believe the lies of Satan and the half-truths of Satan that you're no good and you have no worth. Because the only thing that matters is your worth in God's eyes. Let me repeat that. The only thing that matters is your worth in God's eyes. So the next question is, when you're having a negative self-talk, what does God say about it? Does God believe what you're saying? Did God make junk? Did God mess up? Nope. He knew everything you'd do before you did it, before you were born, before the universe was made. So understand this. Look at your prayer life. Look at your life's experiences. Are you projecting dysfunction on God that's not His? Are you loving people? Are are there people that are hard in your life to love? Just shake your head up and down. Do you have experiences where you need to replace your reactions, which are not so good, with better actions? Do you have negative self talk and do you need to get that out of your head? Do you need more Jesus in there saying, I love you, you're okay? you're not what you think you are, and you're certainly not what Satan says you are. If you need that, you need to do these exercises. Because here's what God wants from us. He wants us to give 100% of what we have every day in that moment. And every day, that's going to look differently, isn't it? Some days, I got a lot. Like today, the choir, you guys are on fire today. I don't know what happened. Woo! Just pounding it out. It's great. Some days, (laughs) like when we don't have the song lyrics, it's not. But we're giving 100%, aren't we? We give 100% of everything you have every day. That's what God wants. He doesn't want you to quit. He doesn't want you not to try. Give it to Him. That's loving God with everything you got. And He wants you to love each other sacrificially. Even to your own detriment. He wants you to think of other people's emotional, spiritual, mental, and, and physical needs before your own. Can you do that? Can you, can you put other people first? That's the aspiration of being Christ-like, isn't it? Put God first. Put other people first. Make sure their needs are met before your own. And then you will not have agapophobia. You will have true agape. Oh, I'm sorry. Our time's up. So here's what I want you to do for next week. Make sure you do your homework exercises, right? And be prepared to come talk about this. And if you have any questions, please talk to Jesus. So once again, I want to stress that the sermon illustrations I use are purely fictional and not based on anyone here in the congregation. It's important to know, I I know all of you are well adjusted, but you may actually have friends that have this issue, so please, please, please share this with them because it's so important that we love God and love Christ and love ourselves so that we can love our neighbor. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to move into a time of communion. Can I ask those helping with communion to come forward, please?